episode six of Keeping It Juicy. Let's first start with our sponsor. So this episode is brought to you by Alcott Squared. Tara Vitolo is owner of Alcott Squared, located in the heart of historic downtown Bernardsville. Inspired by her fashion background with Betsy Johnson, Juicy, and Karen Millen. Hopefully I'm saying that right. The tone of the shop offers fun, edgy, and wearable contemporary fashion for all ages. She is a mom, she's always on the go, and she loves that her business is walkable for her kids. She wants everyone's experience to be a total vibe, and I love her store, and I love the, um, it's like a different one than Spanx, Wear Commando. I love the Wear Commando that she has there. It doesn't have any like seams, so it's awesome. So highly recommend that you stop by there. Follow her on Instagram at shopalcott, S-H-O-P-O-L-C-O-T-T now. So I'm super excited to have Stephanie, is it Blum or Bloom? I say Bloom, but... <laughs> well, what is it? <laughs> It depends. I say bloom. Depends on your mood. If if people just need to know how to spell it, I say blum. Okay, yes. B-L-U-M. Yep. Stephanie, but it's bloom. It's bloom. Stephanie Bloom. So I met Stephanie via Instagram probably over a year ago. It's gotta be over a year. Yeah. Majority of my friends now are from Instagram. (laughs) So I meet people too. Literally. (laughs) Or I've like had conversations with people for like years on Instagram and I'm like, oh, we're finally meeting. So Stephanie Bloom is here. So tell us about your business and you and everything like that to start. Sure. Yeah. So uh, I have my own portrait photography business. I really focus on individuals, couples, families, and especially including pets in the mix. The most important. I absolutely love and believe that they're part of the family and as equal as the kids. So I really encourage everyone to bring your pets into the mix and really just be part of the fun and be part of the memories. Um, Those are some of the things that they'll honestly just always treasure and never realize how valuable they are until your pets are gone. And where can we find you on Instagram? And where is your studio? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at Stephanie Bloom, (laughs) B-L-U-M, photo. (laughs) And you can find me in Mendham where I fairly recently opened my own studio. And it's amazing. So I'm so happy to see clients in there and have the ease and control of my calendar and have everyone in. Congratulations. So yeah, it's fantastic. Where were you shooting before? I would rent studios, mm-hmm. and that's really annoying to set up gear, and yep. so I'm really yeah, happy. They know. <laughs> yeah, the, the video crew knows how hard that is. So, yeah, I'm really happy there. Awesome. Well, that's amazing. And so, as everybody knows, I always just repeat that this is Keeping It Juicy, so we talk about everything real, raw, and juicy in my sense. So, again, I met Stephanie over a year ago, and when I met Stacy, when we met Stacy, that was the first See, time you met her, right? Yeah, I had yeah. never met her before. Yeah. Stacy, you're just going to love her. Um, <laughs> we, Stacy told us what she did. And we're talking about trauma and all these things. And so I learned a lot about Stephanie. And that's why I'm so happy that she's on the podcast because she's been through a lot in her life. 
And so she's very graciously on here to tell us about it. And I'm sure she's going to help many people with her story. So tell us about your childhood. So you were adopted. Yep. And you have, you know, your adoptive parents and then your relationship with animals and depending on them. And because we all do now. Yeah. But I would love to hear more about that story and how it affected your life. Certainly. Yeah. So I, um... I was adopted. I was adopted at 18 months. My mother was pregnant. My biological mother had me, tried to raise me. My father kind of wanted nothing to do with being a dad. So she was really trying to do it on her own. And when I was 18 months, she gave me up. Um, There's a really crazy story, uh, but it really ends with me being on a milk carton, um, which is what they did in the 80s when kids went missing. So (laughs) funny short story. She sold her whole family that I was kidnapped, but in reality, she went through a private adoption. I remember you telling me this now, but I'm still shook by it. (laughs) Yeah, it's a wild story. I'll keep it short, but the, the... We've got 20 minutes, 30 (laughs) minutes, maybe. She uh, really lied to her family because they wanted to help assist in raising me. And she gave me up, went through an attorney for a private adoption. Um, And I was actually born in L.A., living in Phoenix with her. And my my adoptive parents were out in New York. um, But my mother had family in Phoenix. And somehow my mother's mother arranged this meeting of, you know, basically pairing us. Um, my, I have an older brother who's four years older who's also adopted, um, and he had a little different situation where he was abused by his parents and then taken by the state because they were, you know, alcoholics and unfit to be parents. So he was actually adopted closer to almost five. Um, so they got us around the same time. So your your brother is your adopt your brother yeah. was adopted into your adoptive parents. Yeah, family. we're both okay. adopted children. My okay. parents never had children. My mother's sister had contracted lupus when she was pregnant, and back then it was basically a death sentence. So my parents decided not to take the risk, and they didn't mm. want her to potentially contract the same and. Uh, basically be told you'll only have a year to live so they decided to adopt instead wow yeah wait so tell me more about the milk carton thing yeah i went to that a little bit oh, more in detail. The milk we carton. have time so. okay okay so um basically my mother's story you know actually i should tell it this way when i was in my late 20s i decided that i wanted to look for my biological parents um i actually found out my mother's name and what was my name when i was with her what was your name uh, Tara Ashanti Fazari, and she, her name was Nikki Fazari, and uh, which is really funny because after my DNA, like I don't really have any Italian in me, so yeah. I'm not quite sure what was happening. What was happening? Um, anyhow, so when I started looking for her, this was like probably 2008. So yes, we had Google, but it wasn't as robust as it is now. So I actually went through something that some of the old folk might remember, which is 1-800-US-SEARCH. Stop. And I got the address of my mother. Um, I got, basically they gave me six addresses that came up. I sent the same letter um, with pictures to this mysterious woman because I wanted to get to know her. And it turned up that she was living with my first cousin. Um, and my first cousin went through Facebook, found every Stephanie Blum in Facebook, sent the same message until he got to me. And he basically said, you know, if your mother's Nikki um, and your name is Tara, 
I'm your first cousin and can we talk? Wow. Um, that he'd been, you know, searching for me. So my mother basically made up this story that I was kidnapped when she gave me up. And what ultimately happened when this Facebook connection came about with my first cousin was that he immediately told his entire family, which was a pretty big family, that I was actually alive. I so was, for all these years, they, they had no idea that you were still kidnapped and maybe dead. Yes. They all thought I was kidnapped because that was the only story that they knew. And so uh, family members started contacting me on Facebook and messaging me and telling me the same story. And I hadn't yet spoken to my real mom yet. So I was really and started getting in touch with some other family members, all sharing their same knowledge of what they thought my whereabouts were and that I just assumed, presumed dead at some point. So um, I did end up speaking to my biological mom um, and it wasn't really the right fit. There wasn't really a need for me to create a relationship with her. She was, she never got married. She didn't really seem to have her stuff together. She also had, you know, drug and alcohol problems and was still battling that. And so it just didn't feel like, especially considering what was going on in my life with my adopted family, didn't really seem like I needed to layer that into my life. It wasn't a value add. So I decided not to really pursue a relationship with her. But yeah, because of the story, moral of the story is because of this alleged kidnapping, I was deemed a missing child and therefore my face was on a milk carton. Do you have the milk carton? <laughs> I wish. Did no. you go? We can find it. <laughs> Google picture, it whatever would be they very call it. cool. Yeah, so really the first picture I have of me is when I was two years old. So again, I was ado adopted at 18 months. And then the first photo I have is the photo that my adoptive parents took of me at my second birthday. Do you feel like meeting your mother had, a, was there closure there? Was there no feeling, numbness? What was your feeling I there? I think it was numbness. Um, I think I realized that what I thought I was pursuing was not what I, the end result I was going to get. She really wasn't looking, she wasn't really free in sharing a lot of information. She was very closed off. And it seems like she was kind of doing me a favor by talking to me and that she had moved on. So I just felt like I was okay to move on and that I really didn't need to know more. And I never learned anything about my dad. Like I just, I just decided that this is not something that's actually going to turn into anything and I'm okay with it. Do you, I forget what my question was going to be. Damn it. Um, <laughs> closure and, the, oh, did you meet her in person or was it via? No, we just did phone okay. calls. Phone yeah. calls. So yeah. you never like even like Zoom or anything? No. And the funny thing is, is because I connected with all of these family members, they would have an annual fam family reunion and I would get invited every year and I never went because I thought this is so awkward. Yeah. I feel like I, they would just kind of gawk at me yeah, and it would yeah. just be super odd, like That's just very uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Like it would just be really uncomfortable. And it was kind of something that I went back and forth every time I would get this invite, like, is this the year I go? And I decided that this is really just not something I want to really invest in. And so we've still sort of kept in touch over the years, but really not that much. And maybe through Facebook and just seeing what's going on in my life. But it, um, it really wasn't something I felt once I knew more, I really feel like I didn't need more. Like I, I thought I was going to need more, but I actually didn't. I was really okay. Do you still get the invite to the 
No, Rage. I haven't gotten to the no, I haven't gotten it for a few years. This is a long time ago. They, took, they got the message. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They were like, she's she's not coming, guys. We'll stalk her silently yeah, on Facebook. This year. <laughs> so through your adoption and then with your adoptive parents, through all of that, you can share whatever you want yeah. in that section. But you also have formed you really depended on animals for a loving, caring yeah. relationship. So tell us more about that. Yeah. So my adoptive parents were not really uh, the most kind people. Uh, it was a very chilly environment I, I grew up in, to say the least. They were, um, I think, you know, now that I'm much more more mature and older, I, I realize now that I think they had their own traumas. That Don't I couldn't, I couldn't, oh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Thank you, Stacy. <laughs> I couldn't really identify back then, but, um, my dad was at times physically abusive and my mother was more on the emotional abuse side. And, um, you know, my brother later, I'll, I'll share that in a minute, also added to sort of the fire that was going on in my family. Um, so my my father, like he's never once told me he loves me. He was always very much removed. I think he was just physically there, but mentally not there. And I don't think he actually really wanted to be a parent. I was going to say, do you feel like they adopted because I society told us that we should possibly. have kids, but they didn't want to have the actual kids? Yes, I think that's quite possible. I also think it's possible that it was more so my mother and not my dad. Um my mother was really very um, more on the emotional abuse side, and she also seemed to enjoy picking fights with me. Um, you know, as the years went on, um, you know, the physical became more of a verbal abuse from my dad, and my mother and I would just have a very toxic relationship. My dad's famous words to me were, you're as bright as a black light bulb. Like he would tell me that over and over, which had an impact on me because it really made me doubt my intelligence, my abilities, my worth, you know, my confidence and all of those things. And so I really struggled a lot to find my place in the world and feel worthy of really anything. And what later happened as my brother was growing up, you know, he comes from an alcoholic family. He naturally um, fell into alcoholism himself and drug abuse. And so he started that at a very young age. And I was probably eight or nine, and he must have been, you know, uh, 13, 14 or whatever at the time. And he just was a very violent person when he was on drugs and alcohol. And he also inflicted harm on me, terrorized me. And I just, quite honestly, for the most what ultimately transpired was he created so much chaos in my house. My parents and him were always fighting and I really just needed to avoid the behavior. And so I would just like lock myself in my room and not even try to add fuel to that fire. Mm -hmm. I would get pulled in at times, but for the most part, I just found myself in my room alone and always like taking safety with my dogs Mm. because my dogs were always terrified too because there was a lot of screaming and yelling in my house. And so... How many dogs? We had 
primarily because of me, we had four. <laughs> some of them I found on the street. Um, oh, some it. of them we in, they got with, you know, in, intention. intention. Yeah. Um, but it was, honestly, they were like my salvation because my home was not a safe place for me. I didn't feel loved by them. I really just lived in fear most of the time. And um, at times it was somewhat dangerous. And so for me, the way I coped was really just loving up on my animals. Um, And it was something that I realized later in life that literally the first time I felt unconditional love was through my pets because it, it didn't, it didn't show up in my family from my parents. I didn't get that reception from them. So it's, it's, so fitting for me to like love animals and do the things that I do now in my adult life and that I've been doing because it's kind of like my subconscious way of like paying them back and um, really showing them how incredible that they are. Um, So yeah, so I, uh, you know, life was not easy, but it's very interesting because a lot of, you can take a lot of positions in that experience And some people may consider themselves a victim. Some people may get really down on themselves. Some people may um, really kind of cave in and go into deep, dark depressions and whatnot. But for me, I decided that that wasn't the answer. And I don't consider myself a victim. These are just chapters in my book. And they've sort of shaped me into the person I am today. But for me, it's a matter of, you know, my mindset, and I didn't realize we use mindset a lot nowadays and the power of mindset. My mindset is what really got me through every single day as like a kid and as a teen. So I would just tell myself like, you'll get through it. One day you'll have the power to choose. You'll be an adult. You'll choose the life that you want, the way you want to live it with the people that you want who truly love you. And you'll be in a safe place because the home that you create will be will only, you know, be safe, free of violence, free of, uh, screaming, matching, scream, screaming fights and all of those things. And so I created this like vision of what I wanted and I wouldn't let up on it. So I couldn't control my present and I knew that I had to do it differently and, um, that it would ultimately get better. And so like, that's what got me through every day, honestly. And I hope, you know, someone listening to this, I'm sure that they're maybe in the same position or, you know, maybe in a relationship that they're feeling stuck in. So you can change things whenever you want to. You can make the decision, which is super important here. So are you vegan because of your love for dogs? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I woke up at 10 years old growing up in a very heavy meat and potatoes household. And I woke up and I said to my family, I won't eat animals anymore. And I'm going to be vegetarian. And they're like, yeah, sure, whatever. Uh, like, here's your steak. You, yeah. They're like, you'll grow out of Drama. it. My parents, <laughs> they didn't know anything but like meat and potatoes. They were, you know, only, they, we barely had a vegetable. You know, I was lucky if I got, you know, something green. Um, and so I just ate the sides as a kid. I would eat a salad or the potato or those sorts of things. And they thought I would grow out of it. But quite honestly, my passion for 
animal rights, for animal, you know, what was going on in animal agriculture, um, and how the mistreatment of animals in, in um, factory farming grew stronger. Um, and for me, what it was, it first became, I deeply loved animals, all animals, and I kind of saw their sort of sweet innocence. And then it then shifted into the fact that like, I knew how I felt when I was abused, right? Why is this happening to me? I didn't do anything wrong. This isn't fair. You know, I don't want to feel this way. I don't want to be in fear. And I thought these animals are having the same exact feelings and they are sentient beings like we all are. And so they experience pain, joy, love, fear, all of those things. And I was able to connect on a very strange level at a young age to realize that I didn't want to be part of that. And um, I was vegetarian and then later became vegan. And as I got into my late teens and early 20s is when I really learned about proper diet and eating right and taking nutrients and, uh, you know, vitamins and all of that so that I could actually live a healthy lifestyle while being, you know, eating this particular diet, which was very challenging growing up. It's much easier now. Um, and so it took, you know, it took a while for me to really find my footing in, in vegetarian veganism and really doing it right. Wow. So I think the moral of your story, one of the morals of the story that, you know, you have control over your life as an adult, you can make decisions, you can do whatever you want. If you're a child in a situation like this, then, you know, I think reach out to people that you trust for help. I mean, if you're getting abused, call 911. Um, But strongly that if you're in a relationship or you're in a place in your life where you don't feel safe or you don't you're not happy and you feel stuck, then I think talk to somebody professional, talk to your friends, but just know that you could always make the choice and change. And if you are, um, I eat meat, but if you <laughs> abuse animals, then karma's a bitch. You're not welcome to listen to the podcast. You are, unfollow me, unfollow Miss Chester and people will be after you because uh, animal abuse is worse than human abuse I think so um so I just I think you know, your story is just so you know your view on it now is just so amazing that you know you just got through every day and you're dependent on the animals for love which I think is I just love animals so much as well and yeah. dogs and everything so I just you know thank you for coming on of course thank you. and my three questions yes um what would your last meal be if you were on death row okay well, it would still be vegan if I you were say, curious. Would it be a hamburger? No. Hell no. I would <laughs> never go down like that, eating an animal as my last meal. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, it would actually be a vegan, like, buttermilk biscuit. Oh. Because I just yeah. really like them, and they're hard to find. Yeah. And it would probably be, like, a vegan cupcake or cake, yeah. like, something just sweet and delicious, and definitely... There's got to be some wine involved. Love it. I love it. <laughs> um, and one of my other questions... I don't believe that we should have regrets in life, but is there anything that you do look back on and say, oh, I should have made a different decision? Okay, so I had, like, I have to really read what I wrote to myself because I really wanted to prepare for this because I believe that I'm the same way. I don't have many regrets, but I wished that I was able to or had the support or knew of the support to recover from my trauma sooner. Um, because I really love who I am today. I love the woman I'm becoming. I'm always growing. Right. 
And I wish that I could experience this version of me a little bit sooner in life. But regardless, I'm not I'm not regretful for it, but I wished I had known. Yeah. 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 Well, the best thing is you have the rest of your life to do so. Yeah. Um, and what's the last question? <laughs> the last question is my fear. Yes. What is your biggest fear in life? Yeah. So my biggest fear is actually disappointing my future self. Interesting. Yeah. Like I don't want to ever sit back and say as I get older or if I'm like lying in my deathbed, I wished I did. I should have, could have, would have. I'd rather say I did it mm. and whatever and however it turned out, but I'm yeah. proud that I did it. So yeah, I just don't want to disappoint future stuff. <laughs> that bitch whoever she is exactly whoever she is yeah i love that that's and we're always always changing i always say my aunt said to me once yeah. changes are only constant so if you don't feel like your friends are fulfilling you anymore then find new friends if you don't feel like your relationship is fulfilling you anymore your job anything like that change is very hard for everyone and for us in general and for society that tells us we should do one thing and we were going to talk about the kid thing but we'll have you on again oh yes, yes. we didn't talk about that kids i know we don't have time but okay. i think the podcast will be longer but yeah um it's just you can go against the grain and you should make decisions in your soul that feel like that are best for you yeah a hundred percent well, thank you for coming on. Thank I'm you for super, having me. Super happy for you to tell the story. Thank you. And be sure to follow Stephanie. Tell us your Instagram handle again. Yep, it's Stephanie Blum Photo. Awesome. And, and yeah, it, last but not least, I mean, I just want to reiterate: if anyone's ever in a dark place in their life, like I promise you, you will get through it, and there is a bright spot at the end of this tunnel. So I want people to feel like there's always hope. And there is. Yeah. There is always hope. Even if you look back right now and you feel good and you look back at a time where you were like depressed or yeah. something bad was happening, just think about how you got here. And as I always say, this too shall pass. Whatever is going on in your life, yeah. this too shall pass. So if you ever need support, you can always reach out to me at Miss Chester um, and I can point you in the direction of somebody or, you know, I can help you in some way. And thank you for listening to this episode. And as always, keep it juicy. Thank you for listening to this episode of Keeping It Juicy. You can find this episode and all the rest on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple. And as always, don't forget, keep it juicy.